July 8th, Acts chapter 26, verses 1 through 32. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, with a gesture of his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood, among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because I am looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the twelve tribes of Israel worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, O king, they say it is wrong for me to have this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many of the believers in Jerusalem to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them whipped in the synagogues to try to get them to curse Christ. I was so violently opposed to them that I even hounded them in distant cities of foreign lands. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, Your Majesty, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to fight against my will. Who are you, sir? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now stand up, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world about this experience, and about other times I will appear to you, and I will protect you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am going to send you to the Gentiles, to open their eyes, so they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins, and be given a place among God's people, who are set apart by faith in me. And so, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must turn from their sins and turn to God, and prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God protected me, so that I am still alive today to tell these facts to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead as a light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. I am speaking the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak frankly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. 
King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can make me a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they talked it over, they agreed. This man hasn't done anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, He could be set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. You can't put Jesus Christ on a shelf with all the other prophets and wise sages and religious leaders. He will not stay on that shelf. He sh he's either way above them or way below them because of the nature of his claims. What do I mean? I'll go, you, you, when you read the Gospels accounts of Jesus, it's just astounding. Not so much the direct claims, sometimes the indirect things that most hit me. You know, there's a place in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is talking to his disciples about demon possession. And they were talking about people they saw who had demons. And he's talking about demons. And suddenly Jesus, this is in Luke 10, suddenly Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. What? You know, he's having this conversation with his disciples. He says, yeah, I was there before the creation of the material universe and I saw Lucifer go bad. What a sight. Matthew 23, it goes on. It's almost an offhanded comment. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus says, I keep sending you prophets, wise men, and teachers. What? Notice he doesn't say, God, has, I am a great wise man, I am a teacher, I am a great prophet, and God has sent me. No, he says, I am the force behind the universe that's been sending all the prophets and the wise men and the teachers and the religious leaders. What? You read any of the prophets in the Bible. Read Isaiah, Jeremiah, any of the prophets, and they're always saying, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. This is not my idea, they say. Thus saith the Lord. Jesus never stoops as low as to say that. Do you realize that? Never does Jesus say, Thus saith the Lord. Never. All he ever says is, Truly, truly, I say unto you. Jesus Christ's consciousness of being the transcendent, uncreated, the transcendent, uncreated, beginningless God of the universe. It permeates everything he says. It, it's behind everything he does. It's on every page such that you can't extricate his teaching about love or ethics as, you know, from it anyway because everything he teaches is based on that self-understanding. And what does that mean? He can't be on the shelf. He's either way above them or way below them. Uh, N.T. Wright put it this way very well. He says, How can you live with a terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life, capital L, itself has walked into our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it is a sham, a total nonsense. Most people unable to cope with saying either of those two things, are condemned to live in the shallow world in between. And that's exactly right. Most people cannot cope with saying either of those two things, and yet those are the only two things that you can say if you have even the shred of intellectual, spiritual, moral, or emotional integrity. Why? When you read the Bible, and you read, his, you read Jesus' sayings, read Jesus' words, read Jesus' deeds, when you see that, 
how can you call that wicked, a sham? I mean, it's too nice. But you see, if it's true, then you have got to throw everything in your life down at his feet and say, command me. See, either it is a sham, either he is wicked, either he is a lunatic, or else every particular of your life has to revolve around him. And there is nothing in the middle. There is no other position with regard to him that has any integrity at all. And almost nobody can cope with either of the only positions that have integrity. Most of us are right in the middle. And as N.T. Wright says, what a shallow place to be. Romans 3.23 Sure, I have heard some very godly men say that if they had to lose the entire Bible and could pick only one passage, this is the passage they would hold. Because in this passage is found the very salvation of man. First of all, he says, for all have sinned. All have sinned. Why don't we tremble? Why don't we know how terrible this is? We don't know how much we've sinned in the same way a fish doesn't know how wet it is. We were born in sin. We were conceived in sin. We were born in a fallen world of sin. The only thing we've ever known is sin. Our society, as Scripture says, drinks down iniquity like it was water. You see, here's something you need to understand. Hitler was not an anomaly. Hitler was what everyone in this room has the potential of being. And not only that, you need to understand, even in all the the wickedness of Hitler, Hitler was still restrained by the common grace of God. And you need to know this, that if it were not for the common grace of God restraining you in your unconverted state, you would make Hitler look like a choir boy. What we do not understand is what Scripture teaches about men. Men are evil. You say, well, I don't agree. That's because you've grabbed enough of Christianity to stand, but you don't believe the Bible. Do you have to teach a child to lie? Do you have to teach a child to be self-centered? Do you have to teach a child to be brutal to other children? They learn that on their own. Set them free. Discipline them not and see what you have in 10 years. A monster. Why? Because what Scripture says is true. And you hold your ears and you say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. In the same way that a person dying of cancer is in denial and says to the doctor, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But by cupping the hands over your ears, you close yourself off from any remedy. Why is sin so terrible? Because it's committed against God. Why don't we tremble? Because we don't know what that means. And why don't we know what that means? Because we do not know who God is. Such a glorious and blessed being. Imagine this for a moment. God stands there on the day of creation and He tells planets to put themselves in certain orbits in space and they all bow down and say Amen and obey Him. He tells stars to to find their place in the sky and to follow His decree to the letter and they all bow down and obey Him. He tells mountains to be lifted up and valleys to be cast down and they bow down and worship. He tells the brave sea, you will come to this point and you will come no further and the sea adores. And God tells you to come and you go, no! How wicked is our sin. Do you see? Dear people, we're always getting a one-sided story. I'm going to talk about the love of God tonight in a way possibly you've never known it. But in order for you to appreciate the love of God, you've got to understand something. His love is exalted in the same way the stars are exalted by a pitch black sky. 
Let me ask you a question. Where did the stars go this afternoon? Did someone put them all in a basket and carry them away? How come when you looked up you didn't see them? Because there was so much light. You could not marvel at their beauty. You could not even see them. In the same way, you cannot see the stars of God's grace and His love with so much light. When preachers tell you that men are so good, the only way to truly appreciate the love of God and the grace of God is to see the pitch dark blackness of man. And when you see the pitch dark blackness of your own heart, and then you realize that God moved in love for you, it causes you to fall down on your knees with the greatest esteem and worship God. Psalm chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. For the choir director, a psalm of David, to be accompanied by an eight-stringed instrument. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my body is in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For in death, who remembers you? Who can praise you from the grave? I am worn out from sobbing. Every night, tears drench my bed. My pillow is wet from weeping. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Go away, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my crying. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21. Words satisfy the soul as food satisfies the stomach. The right words on a person's lips bring satisfaction. Those who love to talk will experience the consequences, for the tongue can kill or nourish life. <laughs> 